Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, everybody. It is Helen. And before we get started on this week's episode, I just wanted to let you know that this is episode 300 of the Squiggly Careers podcast, which is, I don't know, it's a bit of a random milestone, but it's meaningful to Sarah and me because it's taken a lot to do all of those episodes. And we hope that it's all been helpful to you. One of the values of our business, Amazing If, is useful. So we thought, what can we do that is useful to celebrate the milestone? And what we have done, and you can let us know whether it's useful, is we have produced one ginormous PDF that has a hundred squiggly career pod sheets in it. So we produce a pod sheet every week with all of our episodes. We've collated a hundred of them together so that you have, I don't know, the ultimate squiggly career workbook. Who knows? Let, let us know. But you can download it. We will put the link in the show notes. It will be on the toolkit on our website. We'll be posting all about it on social. But please download it, use it, share it. Hopefully it's a really useful free tool for you and other people's development. And with that, we will get into this week's episode. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Helen. And this is the Squiggly Careers podcast, where every week we help you to navigate the ups and downs of your squiggly career, sharing lots of practical ideas for action and tools to try out that we really hope will give you a bit more confidence, clarity and control. And today we're going to be talking about how to take a coaching approach to support someone else in their squiggly career. So why is this an important thing to focus a bit of energy and effort on? In a squiggly career, nobody succeeds by themselves. At times, we all need support from other people. Like however you're working, wherever you're working, you're better if you're not doing it alone. And it's also very likely that you will face some knotty moments in your squiggly career. So times in your career when it feels a bit difficult and you're not sure what to do. And it's really in those knotty moments that we need that support most of all what we can do for people is we can help them to unravel those knots so when they're in that sticky situation when it's all feeling a little bit tough if we can take a coaching approach to help that person what they are able to do is navigate their way through the knots so they can unravel the knot they can get unstuck they can uncover their own ideas they can move through it all a little bit faster so we're not saying that there aren't going to be tough times and we're not going to say that it's easy to unravel it, but it is possible. And what you can do is support someone to do that. And when we take a coaching approach, so we help people get unstuck and uncover those ideas for themselves, they are actually then much more committed to acting on it. So if we always give people the answers or we always tell people what to do, they're not always committed to taking that forward. We sort of made it a little bit too easy for them. We say, this is what I did in this situation. This is what I think you should do. But when someone else says, oh, actually, in talking to you, I've just thought about something that I could do, their 
idea that they have had, they are much more likely to take. It's sort of a bit of an ego effect where we think our ideas are brilliant and what you're doing is helping someone to come to those ideas so they're going to be more committed to their career development as a result. So who might you be having these conversations with? So this could be just a friend at work, maybe a work best friend, a colleague that you get on well with. So a sort of taking a peer-to-peer coaching approach. Maybe you're a manager and you want to take more of a coaching approach with the people in your team. Maybe you're a mentor and you're thinking, oh, what would it look like to sort of ask some really good coaching questions as part of our mentoring conversations? We know we obviously talk a lot about coaching yourself. Yeah, we have a book called You Coach You. And one of the things that we always want to make sure we're really clear about is what we're not saying is that coaching yourself is a substitute for having really good career conversations with lots of different people. And so here, I think this is where we're sort of looking at that challenge from kind of different perspective. So of course, still coach yourself, but also go and have the conversations that you need with each other. I really like the idea that in a squiggly career, we could sort of create an ecosystem of people helping people with their squiggly careers. Because though, of course, there are people out there who are incredible coaches and who've done lots of training and are real experts at some of the things we're going to talk about, you know, we don't all have access to those people. And even if we do, it tends to be more ad hoc or occasional. So I think what we're really interested in here is sort of the day to day, how we could all sort of borrow a bit of brilliance from coaching to be useful for each other. So a very quick summary of what it means to take a coaching approach. It's essentially a skill that we can develop where we are going to be able to increase somebody else's self-awareness and then accelerate their action. And it's not as solving a situation for somebody. So rather than solve what we're more likely to be doing when we're taking a coaching approach is to support somebody through that situation And it's not about us leading that conversation. So driving it and telling people is much more likely that we'll be in a listening mode when we're taking a coaching approach. So today we're going to talk you through sort of three hows. So the hows of taking a coaching approach. We're going to start with managing the mindset. So really spotting and understanding the mindset somebody has and how you might adapt your approach accordingly. Then we're going to talk about the skills, listening and asking insightful questions and some things that might just help you get even better at those skills. And then finally, just how to structure these conversations. So a bit of a framework just to support you to know where you are in a conversation and where you might go next. So I shall start with managing the mindset. And actually, I'm going to sort of go back to an episode that we did a while ago now about I think 55 episodes ago to be exact it's episode 245 which is about your thinker and doer mode and what we talked about in that episode is that there is a tendency for people to move more towards thinker mode or doer mode so for example Sarah is a bit more of a thinker she's naturally more reflective and thoughtful than me who is more of a doer and I am naturally more action orientated pacey moving things forward in parallel neither of those modes are better than another but what it means when you're taking a coaching approach is that you might need to adapt your approach if the person that you are talking to is more of one of those things than another let me explain it a little bit 
let's say you're coaching a friend. Let's say I'm trying to take a coaching approach with Sarah. So she's a thinker, which means she's highly reflective. She's very considered, takes a bit of time to come to a conclusion. Now that might sound like Sarah saying to me, I need to think this through, or I need a little bit of time to think about it. Those are the sort of statements you might hear a thinker say, or it might look like in a conversation, somebody taking quite long pauses, sort of deep breaths and long pauses because they're sort of slowing their thought processes down. Or what I could see with Sarah, for example, is getting quite uncomfortable if I rush Sarah for an answer. And those are the sorts of things you might might help you to be able to spot if this person is more like a thinker. Now, when you are taking a coaching approach with somebody who's more like Sarah, more like a thinker, the questions that you might want to ask them are more about sort of what and when type of questions. So I might say to Sarah, okay, I've heard what you're saying. What do you think you could do now? Or when do you think you could have that conversation? And the point here is the what and the when types of questions move a thinker into action. So they're very good at the reflection and going round and round. And what we are trying to do is get them into action. And it's why you might want to use a few more of those types of what, when questions, because that's the way that you can do that. Now, the opposite of that would be Sarah having a coaching type of conversation with someone like me who is an out and out doer. So, you know, all about the action, wanting to move things forward very, very fast, not necessarily thinking things through very deeply. Um, There are some benefits to being doers too. But that might sound like me saying something like, yeah, I'm on it. I'm on it. What does it sound like, Sarah? What, What do you think I say that like makes me all kinds of doer? Uh, You say, yeah, I get it. Like, like, like almost stop talking to me stop explaining it to me uh you say that quite a lot um, Anything else? you it definitely sometimes looks like multitasking in distraction it's sometimes quite hard to keep your attention and focus mm-hmm. and I think particularly if because you want to move things on the more you want to move things on the more multitasking I see from you mm. so almost getting you to stop and stay still and to dive a bit deeper feels like a challenge because that's mm. not what you want to do. You, you want to make progress. So I have had lots of people, both coaches and non-coaches, take a coaching approach with me. And so if you are taking this approach with a doer who's demonstrating some of the behaviours that I would do naturally, a couple of things here for you. First of all, use a slower pace to slow down the doer's pace. So Sarah does this with me very, very well. Ask me questions, but does them in quite a slow way so that I have to listen a bit longer in order to get to the questions, what Sarah's asking me. And it makes, it naturally slows me down. So use your slower pace to reduce the speed of the doer's brain or desire to take action. And then there are a couple of specific questions that are useful if you're coaching a doer. The first is a why question. So talk to me about why this is important to you for example, could be a good question. Why makes a doer think? So that's, you know, why that is a useful question. Just watch out with the whys a little bit because what you don't want to do is introduce any judgment. So why is quite a sensitive question to ask. It's very useful for a doer, but you don't want to say, why are you doing that, Helen? So the tone is quite important when you use a why, but it is a good question to make a doer think more deeply. 
The other thing that's really useful with a doer, if you're going to adapt your coaching approach, is lots of who questions. Well, who else could help you? Who else could you go and talk to? Because doers are very into action, they often go it alone. And when we get them to think about, well, who else could you consider? Who might you need to get some input from? It helps a doer to see the world that is bigger than them, which is often very useful and makes them a bit more considered, gives them a bit more data for their development. So the main point here is people naturally fall into one or either of these modes. You can spot it by what they're saying or sometimes the way that they're behaving. And when you spot either a thinker or a doer in the person that you're taking a coaching approach with, just adapt the type of questions that you're asking so that you can help them raise their awareness and increase their action. That's what it's all about. Whenever I'm trying to very consciously take a coaching approach, I always feel like I'm trying to do two things. Firstly, give someone the space to be at their best. So we're not trying to make doers become thinkers or make thinkers become doers. Uh, You know, thinkers will be great at the self-awareness, doers will be great at the action. So I want to give people the space to do that, to do what they already do really well and the support to just sometimes either speed up or slow down. So I think you're almost helping someone else adapt based on the questions that you're asking. So I always think, like, when's the right time to give someone space? So, you know, if someone tried to move me to action too quickly, that equally is not going to work. So someone's got to give me the space to explore options, to imagine scenarios. I'm quite future orientated. But then equally, someone who's really great at a coaching approach will spot that moment where they think, right, Sarah's sort of had enough space now for that thinking. I need to give her some support to kind of help her to move modes and start to move and use that awareness that she's got. That's probably quite good quality awareness and use that and turn it into action. So I always think space and support. The only other thing I would add actually is it is worth being aware of your own mode. I don't know if you have this, Sarah, but because I'm a natural doer, sometimes when I'm taking a coaching approach, I might be the person rushing them into action because that's how I naturally work. Mm. And just because that's how I am doesn't mean it's going to help them in that conversation. So as well as adapting to the way that that person is with the questions in particular that I'm using, I also have to stay quite conscious of how my own mode might be affecting the conversation. So it is, think or do it, sounds like this really simple thing that's easy to dismiss, but I think it's so important to having a high quality conversation when you're taking a coaching approach. So the next area we want to talk about is the two fundamental skills that will help you to take a coaching approach. And I do think both of these skills end up being very useful in our day-to-day jobs, as well as when we're trying to support someone with their squiggly career. And that's asking really insightful questions to unlock people's thinking and help them uncover new options and also active listening. So let's start with questioning. I think when we're asking questions as part of taking a coaching approach, our job is to ask a question and then give someone kind of the space to answer it. So the first thing to remember is try and only ask one question at once. It's really easy, certainly for me, and maybe this is because I'm a thinker, I sometimes think through my questions, as in say them out loud. So almost my thought process comes out in multiple questions to someone. And that's overwhelming. And also you risk someone answering either the easiest question or you just lose some awareness because you sort of talk around some of the areas rather than being specific about, well, let's talk about this one question before we move on. I often talk when we're doing workshops on this area about the difference between question stacking, where we do lots of questions at once and question sequencing, 
where we kind of ask and then answer, ask and then answer. Because of course, our questions when we're coaching are often connected. We just don't need to do them all at the same time. If you do find yourself doing question stacking, which I definitely do, I see this in myself quite frequently. My top tip is when you realize you've done it often in the moment, just pause and it's okay to acknowledge to say something like, oh, I know I've asked you lots of questions there. Or there's a few questions that I've just talked to you about. Let's start with dot, dot, dot. And then you can sort of repeat those questions if you do find that you've sort of done that unintentionally. Next thing when you're asking questions, if you spot that somebody is perhaps struggling a bit with how complicated a situation feels, or perhaps they might be blaming things outside of themselves, or feeling like they've got a lack of control about maybe what's happening to them. And that can happen in a squiggly career. There's lots of change and uncertainty. So there are moments where we maybe feel stuck or lost. And also we feel like we maybe can't do anything about it. Your job when you're taking a coaching approach is to help people move their focus away from lots of things that might be concerning them, maybe lots of complications that might be happening around them to really the things that they can control that they can take ownership for. So just when you're asking the questions, just make sure you've got you in there. So what action could you take? Who could you go and talk to? It doesn't mean that you ignore or avoid those other things that are happening. I think it's really important that you acknowledge those, but you almost use those things that might be happening outside of someone's control as a bridge to them, what can you control? So if Helen was saying, yeah, I feel like everything's really frantic, it's really busy, she's maybe describing a situation to me, I then might respond by saying, wow, that does sound like you've got a lot going on all at the same time. How is that impacting your day? I'm using that description that she's given me as a bridge to go, what's happening to you? How are you feeling? What actions can you take? And I think everyone listening to this will already be good at this, but we will mention it just in case. Keep all of your questions open. We don't want closed questions that people can answer too quickly or with a yes or a no. And my sort of shortcuts to asking open questions are the five W's and the H. So who, what, where, why, when, and how, or TED, tell, explain, describe. All of those questions are just really good. Start any of your questions with any of those and they're a good place to start. Again, if you do ask a closed question, and I definitely still find myself doing this some of the time, just repeat the question in an open way and it will feel like a different question. So if I just said to Helen, has your work got better since we last caught up? That's like, well, it either has got better or it hasn't. Helen might be like, yeah, it does feel like it's a bit better. And then I might think, okay, well, that was obviously a closed question. So then I'll just follow that up with, how has your work got better since we last caught up? So I then... I can use that closed question again as a bit of a bridge to an open question. I think it just becomes one of those things that you get more conscious of. I can sometimes hear myself saying it and then I quickly quickly turn it in the conversation (laughs) because I'm just more aware of it now. And I know that it, it unlocks someone's thinking much more when you use the open questions. The other thing that I think is useful when you are asking questions is to be aware of the depth of those questions in terms of someone's self-awareness. This is something we actually cover as a tool in You Coach You, but I'll, I'll kind of talk it through now. 
So it's about like dive deeper questioning. So if you imagine three levels, let's imagine you are snorkeling, you're doing some mm-hmm. snorkeling, you're snorkeling in the conversation, you're trying to find some buried treasure. The buried treasure is somebody's like real deep awareness. You could dive to like a depth level one, so i.e. not very deep. And that level is really all about the facts of a situation. So let's say Sarah's having a challenge with somebody at work and I might say, all right, tell me what's happening. So what does Sarah will end up doing then is describing that situation. She'll talk about facts. And it's useful, you know, it's useful to get that insight, but I'm not really getting to a lot of awareness about Sarah there. I'm just getting her reflections on the situation. So that's fact level and that's sort of depth level one. Then we need to go a little bit deeper. So depth level two, we're diving down a bit now. This one's all about feelings. It gets a bit more personal here. You've got more emotion creeping in. And so I might say to Sarah, okay, I've kind of heard all the things that you've you said about that situation. How is it making you feel? Now we're getting kind of a bit more deep here. And Sarah might say, well, I'm getting quite frustrated. And I might say, okay, and and how else? And Sarah might say, well, to be honest, I'm a bit disappointed that, you know, people are behaving in that way. That's not what I expected or it's not what I wanted. And I might say, yeah, that does sound really hard. So I kind of play that back to Sarah. Now that gives me a bit of permission then to dive even deeper. And it's at the depth level three where we can really start to change someone's behavior. And this is where we get into fears. So we've done facts, we've done feelings, and now we're pretty deep. We're talking about fears. And I might say to Sarah, okay, so you mentioned giving somebody feedback, but it's not something that you've done so far. What are you worried about if if you take that action? And Sarah might then talk about, well, you know, I'm worried that they won't want me in that team anymore. I'm worried that I'll be excluded from the conversation. Or maybe I'm worried that they'll think I'm a difficult person, whatever's coming out. Now, that worry is the thing that will stop Sarah doing something different. And so what I need to do is work with the worry and talk to Sarah and say, okay, well, where has that worry come from? When have you given feedback to somebody before and how did that go? You know, what changed as a result? result of it? What can you learn from when you've done this before that you could bring into this situation? So if I can work with the worry, I'm much more able to help Sarah to see or to swim, (laughs) if we're going with the the analogy a bit more, (laughs) to swim through the situation. And it's really, really important just to think about what is the depth of the questions that I'm asking at the moment? I would say it's hard to go straight to the fears like I can't go Sarah what are you worried about you know get on with it and like I haven't really got the trust in the conversation we need to get there through a little bit of discussion so it can take a bit of time but it's useful for you to think about where what depth are you naturally asking questions at and what would it take for you to dive a bit deeper because that is when you're going to make the biggest difference to someone's development the other thing that I think is important to remember here is this is about conversations about our squiggly career not a conversation so you don't need to do all of these things all at once in fact I think it's often the most useful conversations I've had if you've got something that's pretty knotty you're not going to try and help someone to solve all of that to unravel all the complexity of that knot in one conversation together I'm not sure anyone's quite that good or (laughs) or that self-aware and so I think again in terms of expectation on yourself when you're taking a coaching approach just remember like your job is not to solve like in that moment and sometimes that can feel quite dissatisfying when I talk to lots of managers about taking a coaching approach managers are often so used to wanting to be 
helpful in the moment, wanting to fix things fast. You know, we all want to feel useful. That's when we get that helper's high that scientists sometimes describe from those chemicals that are released when we go, yeah, I, I did a good job like here and now. I think it's important to recognize that when you take a coaching approach in the short term, sometimes you might come away from those conversations thinking, I'm not sure how useful I was today. Or you don't get that kind of immediate feedback loop of someone going, oh, brilliant, I feel all sorted now. Sometimes it does take quite a few conversations and sometimes it might not be until a year or a couple of years later where someone really appreciates the impact of those conversations they've had with you. So that's quite a hard thing to let go of, I think, when we're all quite used to sort of immediate gratification. Essentially here, you've got to buy into, it might not feel as good right here, right now, but it will be much better for someone's squiggly career ultimately. So we've got to have that kind of long-term payoff rather than kind of short-term, immediate, I feel great right now. I've had many more after-the-moment messages from people showing appreciation when I've taken a coaching approach rather than when I've solved a problem for them. Like the solving the problem for them thing, like if I'm in a meeting, I'm like, oh, I'll introduce you to that person. They kind of say thank you then and there, and that's it, it's done with it. But the, the sort of messages after the moment... I've had like 24, 48, even a week afterwards where someone comes to me and says like, oh, thank you, you really made me think about that. I've done this thing differently as a result or I didn't even realise that that was something that I was doing in that situation until I had that conversation with you, those Mm. sorts of messages. And so it's almost like if you could just wait, if you could just wait for that message after the moment, it is very likely to come because you're just going to make such a bigger difference as people's development when you take the coaching approach. So you just have to, it's sort of like delayed, it's delayed gratification, I would say, when you you do this. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget? Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And then the other side of the coin, so to speak, when we're taking a coaching approach is our active listening. And listening is a skill where we typically 
overestimate our capability. And that is actually quite rare. Most of us underestimate our capabilities. We are better than we give ourselves credit for, but not when it comes to listening. (laughs) And that's because we think we're listening, but really we're waiting to speak. We think we already know how someone's going to end a sentence. We've heard it before. Maybe we don't agree, so we stop listening. There's loads of reasons why we don't listen. I sometimes don't listen because what someone has said prompts an idea. So then my head disappears off in different directions with ideas. So I create new connections and it stops me being present. Perhaps it's harder to listen sometimes when we're lots of people are working remotely. Maybe you've got notifications popping up. Please don't have notifications popping up, but maybe you have. Maybe you can see the emails out the corner of your eye. So I think the first thing is think about just how can you set yourself up for success when you're having these coaching style conversations so that you can be really present because we know that the quality of your attention will increase the quality of somebody else's thinking. And if you think about it, it is quite rare to be really listened to and people will be, it's an incredibly almost easy thing to do, but I think we've sort of got out of practice. But when you do, people will be very grateful for it, just to be really listened to. So sort of try and think about like, am I setting up my surroundings to give myself the chance to be really present as part of these conversations? And there are two things that I do that have really helped me to improve my listening. The first one I do is a talking listening ratio. So I literally often draw a little diagram on my notebook with two kind of circles on like a scale. In one of them, I'll kind of write talking, the other one listening, and I will set myself a goal before a coaching conversation of what percentage of time I want to spend talking and what percentage of time I want to spend listening. And on average, when I'm taking a coaching approach to a conversation, I'm aiming for 30% talking, 70% listening. And that changes depending on who I'm talking to, maybe how well I know somebody, but it just even writing that visually, writing that down beforehand with these sort of two different size bubbles reminds me of what my role is in this conversation. And for me, actually, it's particularly important when I've not met somebody before. So I talk more when I'm nervous. I'm more nervous when I've not met someone. So my talking listening ratio changes depending on how well I know someone. So that self-awareness really helps me to think about okay, so I need to make an extra effort today because I'm talking to someone like for the first time. And then after the conversation, I just reflect on how close to that 70-30 ratio or whatever I had put, did I get to? And it just gives you a bit of that fast feedback, that immediate reflection on, oh, I wanted it to be 70% of the time listening, but do you know what? That felt more like a 50-50 conversation. I find that really useful. The second thing that I've been doing is a really simple idea, but I've had loads of positive feedback on this. And maybe this is the nature of how we're all working. But this is the idea of doing something called a five minute mind map. So when you're having a coaching conversation, rather than worrying about having to remember everything in the moment, or maybe having to take lots and lots of notes, I've sort of slightly changed how I approach these conversations where At the end of a conversation, I will have five minutes where I finish a conversation and I do a five minute mind map that I sort of divide into two. 50% of the mind map is, you know, writing down what I heard from that person. So any actions that they committed to, any words that I heard them say a lot, what I noticed. So were there moments in the conversation where they felt uncomfortable? Maybe anything else I kind of want to just jot down so I remember for next time. And then the other 50% of the mind map is me reflecting on my own coaching capability. So what did I do 
well what were my even better ifs I might do my little talk ratio diagram there I might think well what techniques did I use that seemed to be really useful because here I think we're sort of creating our own coaching toolkit and almost like our go-to questions what seemed to be helpful what didn't seem to work and as I've been talking to groups about this Where I think this maybe is tricky to do is if we have to add five minutes on to an end of a conversation where so many people are in back-to-back meetings. So I think it is useful to have a slightly shorter conversation, but to have five minutes at the end for yourself than to keep the conversation the same and then try to find five minutes later in the day because you just know that that will then never happen. So if I was catching up with someone, let's say they were like, oh, could we have a half an hour chat? I might actually now suggest could we do 25 minutes and I just give myself that five minutes back or if someone if I'm talking to someone for a bit longer for 45 minutes I'll make sure that I've not got another meeting until you know 15 minutes later so you know bonus that time I get to do my five minute mind map and get a cup of tea or something else (laughs) exciting so that five minute mind map I think the reason it helps your listening is you sort of feel reassured that you've got some time straight after the conversation where everything kind of is fresh in your mind to just reflect and write down and think about what did I hear, like also my own coaching approach. And that seems to help people improve their listening, probably because we've come up, it's like an intentional exercise that you know you're going to do afterwards that is partly based on you listening really well to that conversation. Otherwise, it's very hard to do that mind map. And there are a couple of uh, listening tips and tricks that might help you as well. Um, So the first one is about clues and cues. So when you're listening, the obvious thing is you're listening to the words that someone says, kind of an obvious thing, but actually there are some other clues and cues you can pick up on. So the cues, when people are talking, what they give off is this thing called parasocial cues. It's the stuff that you see really more than the stuff that you hear so it's almost like you're listening to their body language as well as the words that they're saying so that might be you know raised eyebrows or it might be fidgeting hands you know it might be them looking around a little bit with their you know maybe they want more time to think so they're sort of looking up because they're sort of engaging different parts of their brain for example if anyone knows about sort of NLP type stuff your linguistic programming you don't have to be an expert by the way in NLP you just have to basically look at other people when they are reflecting or answering your questions and see if you can pick up on any of those cues because there's a bit more data that we might use to inform how we're taking that coaching approach it is worth knowing as well that those clues are visible if you can see somebody so maybe you are having that coaching conversation virtually and you can see them on camera or maybe you're in the office with them that's when you can pick up on those cues if you are camera off for example then it might be more about sort of listening to pauses or listening to pace those sorts of things so it's not just the words people say basically there are often other insights that you can get if you're really listening that's why listening is so hard because actually There is a lot for your brain to do if you're actually going to do high quality listening. One of the things that I find quite useful when I'm listening is I capture how many times people say the same words. I find that a really useful thing to keep me in sort of high listening mode. I'll sometimes have a little tally. In fact, I did this yesterday. I was on a panel with somebody yesterday. He didn't ask me to take a coaching approach, so I haven't I haven't <laughs> told him what I was listening to yet. But um, it's somebody that I know a little bit and we were both talking on the panel and the number of times he said the word make 
I thought was really interesting. So part of the conversation was around values. And he was saying like how important it was in his career that he was able to make something that people could make. He was talking about making in this really tangible way. Like um, people want to make adverts and people want to tangibly make things in their jobs. And I was like, oh, people might, but you obviously do because (laughs) you use that word so much. And I was like that, it was quite an interesting value to me, like this idea of being a maker because I I don't hear that from people very much. But that's the point. I was listening so hard that I heard something that was was sort of different to me, was unique to him. Cues and clues, quite interesting. Also, listening language. So if you want somebody to feel like you are listening to them, there are a couple of words that you can say that create that impression. So obviously, it's important that you actually are listening to them. But the words are, that sounds hard, or I hear what you're saying. Like, because those we have such a strong association with those words, we know them as listening words. If you are saying them back to people, they feel like you have been listening to them. So think about, could you use those? Like, oh gosh, that sounds like a really hard situation. Or yeah, I do hear what you're saying. Could you find a way that you could naturally use those? The other thing that is useful is saying someone's name. We are very attached to our names. Most of us have had them for quite a long time. So if Sarah said to me, wow Helen that sounds really exciting I can see how excited you are that shows me that she's she's with me you know she's with me she's listening to me and using my name just makes me almost sit up and feel like she's sort of with me in that conversation the important thing here is for you to do it naturally so practice it you don't want to be like now I need to say Helen's name now I need to say that sounds hard and then the other thing that you can do is also do a bit of playback This is really useful when you're listening for both you and the person you're taking a coaching approach with, because you might say, okay, Sarah, can I just play back what I've heard? So you mentioned X, Y, and Z, and you said that this was the hardest thing about the situation. Is that a fair reflection? And doing that creates a bit of clarity for Sarah because she might not have realized what she'd been saying. Because if actually, if I've been listening well, then I've just let her talk and she's probably been finding her flow as she's been sharing this stuff with me. So me creating a bit of clarity by playing it back could be quite useful. But also as someone taking a coaching approach, it's actually really useful for me too, just to make sure that I've heard the things that Sarah wanted me to hear and not the things that I thought were most important about that situation. Yeah, one of the things that I always think is important to understand the difference between is repeating and summarizing. I think when you're repeating, you are you are literally sharing back with someone what they have said to you, sort of word for word. So you might say, oh, well, I've heard you say, I feel overwhelmed three or four times in our conversation so far. You know, I've, I've heard you say that and you're showing someone that you've listened, but also you're helping them to Helen's point with a theme, with a, okay, you might have just kind of been chatting to me, but I've sort of spotted that you keep coming back to this sort of same phrase or you've said it in a few different ways. I think summarising, when you do that, it's really important that you do what Helen just did in that example is you've got to finish a summary with asking an open question back to the other person because when you summarise, the risk is you've summarised it sort of and interpreted it in your way and so if I'm ever summarizing back to somebody I'll always say so what have I missed in that summary you know like really inviting somebody to say and that's always really interesting because maybe they'll say you're about right but this still feels really important to me and so maybe 
I didn't hear it as being really important. But if they say that in terms of, well, what have I missed? You then think, okay, well, that's interesting. There's a useful insight in that. So if you are summarizing, just make sure that you don't, because people often, I've seen this before when I've done this wrong, you can summarize and it's really easy for people to be like, yeah, yeah, that's right. (laughs) And also people don't want to criticize you, like criticize your summary. So just think about like maybe, yeah, asking something like, oh, what have I missed there? Or what else feels important that I didn't say? Giving people really easy permission, basically, to let you know if there is anything that feels critical that you just might have missed along the way. I think, yeah, yeah, it's probably another do a flag as well, because I'd be like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> move on. <laughs> it's definitely, definitely one. So the last area I wanted to talk about here when you're taking a coaching approach is a structure for the conversation. Now, this is a framework that we've got in our book, You Coach You. And what we don't want you to do is use a framework really formulaically. So you don't want to be like, imagine you've got up to this point, like a really natural conversation. There's a lot of trust. There's a lot of empathy. And then you introduce the framework and then suddenly it becomes a bit structured and stilted and too formal. We don't want you to do that. But what we do, the reason that we're going to talk through this coach framework with you now is it can really help you to start at quite an ambiguous part of a conversation, like when someone's maybe grappling with something a bit tricky, a bit knotty, like we said earlier. And then it sort of gradually helps them to get more specific about what they could do, what action they're going to take, what help they need. And so it's it's a flow really that helps you go from ambiguity and naughty naughtiness into something specific that someone can do and I think the more that you practice this the more natural it becomes so the the less formal you feel like you have to use it so let me talk through the five parts of the coach framework and then what we will do is summarize this for you in the pod sheet and don't forget we always link to the pod sheet in the show notes on apple and if you ever can't find it it is on our website I think the best thing to do is to sign up for pod mail because then you just get all of our pod sheets automatically in your inbox every week but you work out what's right for you but the pod sheet will summarize what I'm about to say so the framework is coach and coach is an acronym so the first letter is c which stands for clarity so when you are taking a coaching approach it's really important that you work out what is the thing that is most useful for you to focus that conversation on because often people have quite a few different things that they are struggling with or want to talk through or opportunities they're trying to explore particularly if it's a knotty moment there's probably quite a lot going on in that knotty moment like so for example for me I'm feeling a little bit overwhelmed at the moment because we've got a lot on at work. There's lots of change, lots of things I'm trying to create. And in my personal life, I've got quite a lot going on because I'm trying to move house. And so if Sarah was trying to coach me through how could I feel less overwhelmed, actually there's quite a few elements to that. And so what she might want to do is get me to really clarify what's the most important thing for us to focus on so that you could feel more in control. And yes, I might surface all those different situations that are going on, but what Sarah wants me to do is is, is to really be specific about but what's having the biggest impact? What do you want to focus on first? It's really important you do that or a conversation can go all over the place. And so get to clarity. What's the most important thing? What's the most useful thing? It doesn't matter if someone's surfacing lots of different stuff, but just keep going back. Okay, so what should we focus on first? So that's the first point of the framework is C and that's all for clarity. The second is O and that's all about options. So you might do a bit of playback here. You might say, 
Okay, so Helen, you mentioned like the, the biggest thing actually is the fact that there's lots of new things that you're trying to do and you, you can't work out what's the most important thing. So what are your options in terms of how you could approach it? And you want a big, big open question there. You might feel like you want to give someone the answers at that point. Well, just write a list, Helen, and work out what's most important. But remember, don't fall into telling someone what to do. You want them to generate the options for themselves, A, because they might have better ideas than you, and also because they'll be more committed to the ideas that they generate, back to that point that we said earlier. So people come up with a few options. And then before you move on, just keep them in that mode for a little bit, that option generating mode and say, okay, really interesting. What else could you do? What else could you explore? Like get them to stay there a bit longer. I often find it quite useful to say, who do you see that is good at this? And then they might name, I might say, oh, Sarah, she's amazing at this. She's always in control of everything. And then you might say, okay, well, what is it that Sarah does naturally that you could perhaps do instead and then getting into someone else's head can sometimes help people to generate more ideas so I stay with options for quite a long time so that people think about all the different things they could do third bit of the framework is a and that is for action so here what we want to do is say to someone okay so here are some of the options that you shared with me again I'll probably do a bit of playback there what two actions would be most useful for you to take forward now I don't want 10 actions because I'm probably not going to do that so it's, it's sort of one or two get them to really pick and prioritize at that point and then get them to restate them when they restate them again they are likely to be more committed to them so you don't want to say it to them you want them to get them to state it to you Then once they've stated the actions, we can move on to the fourth part of the framework, C, and that is for confidence. So for each of the actions that they have identified, ask them on a scale of one to 10, how confident are you to move that forward or to take that action? What we're trying to do here is just understand, is there anything getting in someone's way? So I might say, oh, you know, on that particular action, I'm 10 out of 10, I'm clear and I'm confident about taking that forward. And that's good. That's like brilliant. Or I might say, oh, I don't know, four or five out of 10. I know what to do, but I'm not quite sure how to do it. And again, it's better to have that insight than to ignore it. And it helps you then with the fifth part of the framework, which is H for help, because then you can say to somebody, all right, so what help might you need now to move that forward? Or, you know, with that action that was four out of 10, you might say, what help do you need for that to feel more like a five or a six out of 10? And so it helps someone to be really specific about the support they need to move that action forward. And it's it's just a really useful framework that can help you in a conversation so that you feel in control of your coaching approach and that that conversation has a a sort of a direction or a bit of a flow to it. I've talked that through pretty quickly. So I I, I know that and I probably talked it through pretty confidently because I have used it a lot. But when I started using it, I wasn't confident with it. And what I did have was coach written down on a bit of paper and I would literally have my pen on the bit that I was on to make sure that I stayed in it and I knew where I was. And just going back to the point that Sarah mentioned earlier about conversations, you don't have to do all of the coach. So all the clarifying and the options, the action, the confidence and the help in one conversation. 
sometimes I might spend a lot of time just getting to the clarity. Like I sometimes spend ages, like what is it that's going on and what is it really important for us to talk about? And then someone might go away and have a think about options and we might come back together to talk about the action. So it's fine if this takes a couple of conversations, but it is a framework that if you follow it, you can really support someone, get to being quite specific about what they can do and who might they need help from. So that's everything for this week. We really hope that's been helpful for you as you try to take more of a coaching approach in some of your conversations. And as we said at the start, hopefully we can all just help each other when we need it as we navigate our squiggly careers. Thank you to everybody who continues to subscribe, share, recommend the podcast. Our listeners are brilliant and we love reading your reviews in particular. We get a little email summary when someone writes a new review and it continues to be the highlight of my week. So if you want to do us a five minute favour, that's definitely something you can do for us that always brings a smile to certainly my face anyway. So thank you so much for listening and we'll be back with you again soon. Bye for now. Bye everybody. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.